So if you're looking at all these ways to to define it, I would say that, you know, we're essentially have moved into the endemic stage of of COVID. You know, it's it's here, it's here to stay. Our immunity from prior infections and vaccinations is a lot better now than it was three years ago. You don't need to shut everything down. We know more about it. So I would say that it's still an issue. People are still dying. People are still getting sick, but it's not having the societal impact as it was even a year ago. So I think it's reasonable to start saying we're moving into the endemic phase of COVID-19. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Peak Health with Dr. Gupta. This show is for those who want to optimize their health and maximize their genetic potential. If you like our show and want to learn more, please visit our website at peakwellnesshealth.com, which is linked in the show notes below, where you can gain access to a very simple 10-day body reset program that teaches you about diet, sleep, meditation, exercise, and guides you on how to lower your blood sugar, lower blood pressure, lower your body fat, and improve your biomarkers in just 10 days. Additionally, you can find a body optimization module, which teaches you how to lose fat and build muscle. You can also find a link to schedule a one-on-one consultation with me. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a profound impact on our lives, leading to the loss of friends and loved ones and disrupting our routines in ways we never could have imagined. While we are no longer under a mask mandate or a state of emergency, many of us are left wondering if we can go back to our pre-pandemic ways without worrying about COVID-19. Can we attend group events and sporting events? Can our kids go to school without the fear of getting sick? And what about masks and vaccinations? Are they still necessary? To help us answer these questions and more, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Dost Sarpel to the podcast. Dost will provide us with expert insight into the current state of the pandemic and how we can protect ourselves. Dost completed his internal medicine residency and infectious disease fellowship at George Washington University Hospital in Washington, D.C. He also completed additional training in viral hepatology under the mentorship of Dr. Douglas Dietrich, a world-renowned hepatologist. He is currently the medical director and COO of Capsid Consulting, whose mission it is to enhance the infection prevention and antibiotic stewardship programs in long-term care facilities around the United States via teleconsulting services. In addition to his work with Capsid Consulting, Dr. Sarpel is an infectious disease consultant and director of outpatient infectious diseases with Milford Regional Physicians Group and sees patients at Milford Regional Medical Center in central Massachusetts. Dose and I have known each other for a number of years. In fact, he was my intern many, many years ago and is also a mastermind or is part of a mastermind group where we discuss medicine, current events, and just have fun. If you haven't heard of a mastermind before, it's a great way to use everyone's collective intelligence for a higher purpose. So please look it up. Welcome, Dose. Hey, Ravi. How are you? I'm great. I'm really happy to have you join me. Been a long time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Intern year, probably. You're right. Yes. Yeah, it, it was yeah. long. I still remember when you yeah. started intern year. Yeah. Your first, yeah. your first day of intern year. Yes. And, uh, and really happy to connect with you this way. And it's really, it's really yeah. nice to see how we all evolve in our, in our own fields and uh, grow and contribute in different ways. And this will be great for our listeners because you can teach them a lot about uh, what's happening currently. And um, maybe we'll start with a very simple question. Is the pandemic over? How should, because it seems like it is, the way people are behaving. What are your thoughts? 
it's a it's a great question. It's one that you know we frequently get infectious diseases, and I think one way to sort of look at it is what's a pandemic, what's an endemic, you know, what's epidemic, because these terms are sort of tossed around in the media. Uh, and it can be confusing, right? So if it's okay, I'd like to take a minute to just yes, kind of uh, explain the differences, right? So an endemic, so endemic, it's the constant presence of a disease, usually in a certain region, right? So you could think about, for instance, malaria, right? So malaria, you only see it really in in Africa and in parts of South America. You don't see it everywhere. And that's mainly due to the vector of disease, which is the Anopheles mosquito. But anyway, it's endemic to that region. So you don't see malaria in Europe, for example. An epidemic is when you have an increase, and it's typically sudden, over what is normally expected. If it's limited to a geographic area, you know, it's an outbreak. So for instance, you can think about Ebola. There have been outbreaks uh, over the years in Africa, uh, in West Africa, where they'll have a number of cases and then it kind of goes away. So that could be an epidemic, you know, smallpox back in the day uh, when there would be outbreaks of smallpox, even measles currently, um, there could be outbreaks of measles in uh, unvaccinated populations. doesn't necessarily have to be an infectious disease. So, you know, you'll hear terms like the obesity epidemic or the opioid use disorder epidemic. I mean, those are epidemics uh, as well. Uh, and now a pandemic is when you have an epidemic and then it's in several continents, essentially. And now it's the WHO, you know, the World Health Organization, that sort of will determine when something is considered uh, a pandemic. So they're the ones that that, that uh, determine when something's a pandemic and then when it's now an uh, endemic. So endemic is just this disease is here and it's going to be constant. There could be seasonal variations but it's endemic, so like flu, you know, it's endemic now. So I, I would say that, oh, and another way to look at it too, and, and some people use this definition as uh, the effect on society, right? So when there's an endemic, people are used to living with the disease, you know, sure, you'll, there'll be some sick days, but things aren't going to be shut down for the, for the most part, right? But uh, in a pandemic, you know, it's novel, it's new, things kind of get, can get shut down like we saw three years ago. So that's another way to look at it to a societal impact. So if you're, you're looking at all these ways to, to define it, I would say that, you know, we're essentially have moved into the endemic stage of, of COVID, you know, it's, it's here, it's here to stay our immunity from prior infections and vaccinations is a lot better now than it was three years ago. You don't need to shut everything down. We know more about it. So I would say that, you know, it's still an issue. People are still dying. People are still getting sick, but it's not having the societal impact as it was even a year ago. So, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to start saying we're moving into the endemic phase of COVID-19. Okay. And something that's similar is influenza, right? It's, I guess you could say that that's more of an epidemic. You maybe you can comment on that. 
I guess it would depend on the, you know, the influenza, right? So, uh, you know, there's influenza and we're, and there's seasonal flu and we're sort of, you know, uh, used to that and that'll, uh, numbers will increase in November and October, right? But when there's a different type of flu, so like the swine flu, which is H1N1, uh, which was about 14, 15 years ago, 2009, 2010, that was technically, you know, a pandemic because it was novel, it was new, it started, you know, in the area, and then it kind of like spread to different countries and continents. So, you know, regular influenza is pretty much endemic, but then there's swine flu. Now, um, there's, you may, your listeners may have read or seen a lot about bird flu or avian influenza because that is uh, what's concerning to a lot of virologists and infectious disease doctors. They've had to call a lot of poultry. A lot of wild birds have died from this current strain of avian flu. There hasn't been any documented person-to-person transmission of it, but people have picked it up from close contact from birds. So that's something in our on our radar. And if that evolves a little more, yeah, that can you know, maybe jump and form an epidemic. Um, so, but that is a type of flu, but the regular seasonal flu, that's more a- endemic at this point. Um, so basically yeah. what you're saying is the pandemic in essence is over and has become endemic. Yeah. And going to group events, sporting events, school, that type of thing is happening. And we'll talk more about that right. in a, little bit, a little bit, how to protect right. yourself, but it's happening. It's just a matter of, your risk tolerance. Correct. I, I think that's a good way to, to look at it. Yeah. Okay, great. And we'll talk about more, more about that in a bit. The other thing I just want to, you know, quick segue into the commonality of these pandemics, because, you know, we're, many of us have only experienced this one. This is, and it's scary, but pandemics are actually not uncommon. Um, we always, we talk about the 1918 Spanish flu, but there've been others. So can you just speak to that? Yeah, actually they're, they're very, very common. Um, and there have been several in our lifetime. They just haven't affected us for the three year plus years as COVID-19 um, has, but you know, there's uh, MERS, which is a Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome virus. So that is technically by WHO uh, a pandemic um, that's been ongoing since the you know, last five to 10 years or so, there was original SARS, you know, so this is SARS-CoV-2, but there was original SARS, which was in the early 2000s. That was technically a pandemic. It just didn't kill or affect as, infect as many people. You mentioned the Spanish flu. That's the one that comes to mind because 50 to 100 million people throughout the world died and the world population was much smaller back then, right? So you know, when you look at the proportion of people that died, that's the one that jumps out because of how many people uh, died from from the Spanish flu. And it wasn't just how many people, it was actually young adults. So, you know, people for so we still don't know why, but, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, you know, so it wasn't the elderly, it was people who are, quote, in the prime of their life that died. So that's another reason the Spanish flu sticks out. But you know, before the Spanish flu, there was something called the uh, Russian flu, 
which, you know, killed a lot of people, you know, going back before that, you know, there was, you know, the Black Death in the 1300s to the 1500s, you know, which wiped out about a third of the European population. So there, there have been many pandemics throughout the history, well, I should say recorded history uh, of humankind, and there'll be more probably in the future for a number of reasons. Um, we know that the vast majority of pandemics come from what's called zoonosis. So it's a animal has it, humans pick it up from, from the animal, whether it's bats or, or, you know, birds or pigs or whatever, you know, that's typically how it's our rodents um, or fleas associated with rodents, I should say. Um, that's usually how diseases start and become pandemics because they're novel, they're new to us. They The, the virus or, or the bacteria mutates in a way that can jump to humankind and then we don't have the immune system. And we know these um, zoonotic events, even over the last 10 years, have been increasing. There was a recent study uh, done in Africa that just showed a dramatic increase of zoonosis over the last decade. And there's probably multiple reasons, uh, urbanization, climate change, uh, you know, animals losing their natural uh, habitat and now interacting with humans more. I mean, so they're, they're, they're multiple things at play and we're coming into contact with them more. So it's just mathematics, you know, it's probability. It's going to happen again, probably in our lifetime. Is it going to affect as many people as COVID-19 or cause as many deaths? You know, who knows? We can't say for now, but, you know, I, I suspect that there'll be another one even while, during my time practicing infectious disease. Yeah, I mean that's and that's something that we should all consider when we're thinking about uh, COVID nineteen. As you mentioned, it has become endemic. We have all relaxed to a certain degree, but these things are going to continue to happen, especially as we, as you mentioned, as we encroach into the ecosystem of different animals, as the climate shifts, as our population grows. I mean, these things are all not sustainable and right. we can't continue to do these things. And as we continue to do these things, it's, we're going to reap some of these side effects and one of them or um, more of these types of infections. So, And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a new infection. Like, for instance, Lyme disease is now, you know, the, the tick that spreads Lyme is spreading its territory. So we're, you know, more areas that hadn't seen it are now seeing it or other viruses like, um, you know, I mentioned malaria. There's other viruses like chikungunya is another virus. These are vector-borne viruses, so mosquitoes spread them. But as the climate changes, the mosquitoes are starting to travel further and further north. So now we're seeing, you know, when I was a fellow 10 years ago, chikungunya, you would only seen someone who went to like Africa or certain parts of the uh, South America, but now it's like on um, the Caribbean and it's slowly moving its way north. So it's, yes, there are the novel diseases like COVID-19 that'll probably happen again. And then there are these other diseases that were sort of located in one region are also now moving into other regions and 
you know, so that's the other thing to think about. I know this podcast is about COVID-19, but it kind of all ties together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I mean, it's important to consider all these things. It's, it's sort of out of the scope of this podcast to talk about climate change and all these other issues that we're facing. These are super important things to look look into personally to try to see how you can you can help in, in, in these types of things. But really focusing on focusing on your health, focusing on your well-being, focusing focusing on lifestyle changes can make a big difference for uh, the listeners out there. And that's what this this podcast is all about and how you can help protect yourself, your family, your yep. loved ones the best you can. We're going to talk about that now. Um, and maybe we can start with your your own innate immune system because we all have this innate immune system, which was beautifully designed by Mother Nature to protect us from various types of infectious diseases. Um, and if you've been following my podcast, I've given many recommendations how you can improve your overall health, which in turn improves your innate immune system to some degree. So you may be thinking, okay, well, I'm exercising, I'm eating right, I'm sleeping well, I'm you know decreasing the stress of my life. And I think my immune system is quite robust now. You know, I'm taking maybe some, some supplements or whatever I need to take to improve it. I don't need to get vaccinated or I don't need to wear masks. I'm, I'm good to go. So let's think about those things and let's tackle those questions. Let's start with masks. Um, what, are your, what, are, what are the types of masks people wear and what are your thoughts on wearing masks? Yeah, it's a good question, right? And there's a lot of nuance to it. And it really depends on your risk. You know, how, what risk are you at? and developing severe disease you know are you immunocompromised because you're on chemotherapy or you have some other or you're on another medication that affects your immune system or do you have other issues that make you immunocompromised so your your calculation uh, is going to be different than uh, someone who's in their early 40s doesn't really have medical conditions as as and is in good shape uh, versus someone who's, you know, in their 80s who may have some medical problems, but not a lot, but they're in their 80s. So I think that gets lost in it when it's sort of a one size fits all. Everyone wear a mask. You got to do this. You know, I, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, three years ago, yeah, that, you know, definitely made sense. But now as our immunity has changed and as we've learned more, I think it really uh, depends on, on what your risk is and what your risk tolerance is and who you're interacting with. You know, are you going to be around frail people or, or people whose immune systems are compromised? Um, so that's, that's the main thing you need to think about. We know that good masks worn properly are effective. You know, if you have a surgical mask and you're wearing it below your nose, yeah, that, that's not how you're supposed to wear it. And, you know, that's when it's not going to work. Of course, cloth masks, I don't really, aren't that great. Um, you know, the gator mask, things like that, they're, they're not that good. Then I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, surgical masks, if you're going to wear a mask, that would be the, the baseline mask I would wear. And then uh, if you want to go a step higher, you know, there are K95 masks, uh, which provide a little bit more uh, protection. And then beyond that is the N95 mask which you know provides the most protection isn't the most comfortable but uh, you know that's that's what we wear when we see patients who have active covid you know we wear an N95 mask when we see those patients cuz we're in an enclosed space with someone who's sick who theoretically is very infectious 
Um, and so that's more of a, uh, what we need to wear. But in, in general, I think surgical masks are fine. If you're at a little bit more of a risk, if you want to up it to the King 95, that's, that's great. There are different ones you can buy on, um, Amazon or throughout. Like I, so when I fly, that's usually the type of mask I wear. I, I think the N95 is too uncomfortable to wear for so long on a flight. Yeah. And so I, I sort of kind of, uh, do the middle ground between a surgical mask and a N95 when I fly. Let me stop you for a second, Dose, cause you said sure. a lot of great things there and I want to just break it down for a bit. So yeah, the first is, you know, the question is whether you should wear a mask or not. And, and what you, how you responded was basically it depends and it depends yeah. on your, your risk factors depends on, you know, how robust your immune system is it depends on whether there are sick people around you, uh, they're immune compromised relatives that you're living with. Uh, and yeah. that's, and, and also it depends on the burden of disease in your local community. Cause like if there's an outbreak in your school, then yeah. you want to wear a mask, obviously. If, or you hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I may have left that out, but yeah, it, it, like is there an outbreak going on? Is there a lot, you know, you can check your uh, community level. Um, at least that's the metric the CDC and other state departments of health are using right now with the end of the federal emergency coming up in May and the end of reporting positive tests, because that's, you know, they base part of their calculation on positive tests. They, you know, the CDC and your and your local state departments of health going to need to uh, figure out a new way to, to track disease burden. And I've heard that they're working on it and I'm um, uh, eagerly awaiting to see what they come up with, but that's something you can look at at least right now. And in terms of community levels, a lot of places, actually most places are probably green, which means it's pretty low. So you're probably fine, but and, and if where there's an outbreak, this? where do you find this? Uh, the CDC data tracker. Um, okay. You just Google you know. that for your local area. Yeah, if you go to CDC data tracker, a drop down menu comes up and you can like cl click on the county. There's also a map that's on there that you can like zoom into your county as well and it'll give you the numbers. And, you know, green is low, then yellow and red. And they, they have different recommendations for, for each. You know, we consult with schools and other uh, businesses. And, you know, we've been saying for a while now that, you know, when it comes to masking, you know, we, we like to connect it to community levels. Um, so if it's green, you know, fine, you don't need to mask. If it's yellow, you know, you could suggest it, it recommend it. And if it's red, then okay. You know, there's high levels of disease and, you know, maybe it'll be a good idea to wear masks in our enclosed setting. So that that's one way to kind of look at it. Um, I would say right now, you know, most communities are in the green and, um, and if you're not at risk, then, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily need a mask, uh, in most cases. And the other aspect to consider also is if you personally have some kind of respiratory infection, viral infection, sure. have to be, doesn't have to be SARS-CoV-2, but you know, anything else you, it's, it's a good idea to wear Yes. Sort of simple surgical mask. That or stay home. Yes. yes. Yeah. Or, or stay home. Stay yeah. Home, I think we, outside. right. We have this, you know, uh, our culture at least uh, is to show up to work, 
And there, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, even when we're sick, really, oh, we, we got to go to work. And, you know, if you're infectious with COVID or flu or RSV or some other virus, like, you know, really be best to just stay at home, recuperate, then you don't run the risk of infecting other people. And then, yeah, even if you're feeling a little better, but you're still kind of sick, you know, wearing, wearing a mask, uh, that's not common in, in in the American culture and hasn't been, but it has been in, you know, other cultures like in, in Asia, you know, they're during flu season or whatever, you know, they, they wear masks. I mean, that was just part of, of their culture that we here in the States didn't have, but you know, if you're sick, stay home. If you have to go out and you're sick, wear a mask. Yeah. Um, Thankfully it's becoming more commonplace for people to do so. You know, it just, it right. just reminds me, I was, I was at the gym, uh, the other day and this, this girl walked in and just coughing constantly, no sure. mask. And it's not like she was coughing her lung out. And I'm, and I'm like this, first of all, she shouldn't be at the gym. Secondly, right. at least yeah, sure. she'd be wearing, you know, wearing a mask. And it was just, you know, I just, I just stepped away from that area. But, you know, it, if not, you're really not wearing that mask when you're sick for yourself, you're wearing for other people. Yeah, at that point, getting yeah. spread to those those people. That's something to definitely do. So there's the different types of masks. You you know the simple surgical masks that you mentioned. You know makeshift masks, which really aren't recommended. Um, Not really. No. Yeah, and then you said the K95 and N95. What's the difference between those two? One is vetted by the FDA and OSHA and other federal institutions here in the states. So the N95 is is sort of what's approved here. Uh, the other ones are, are, are typically from Asia and, you know, maybe approved there, but they, for whatever reason, haven't been approved by the FDA for the purposes of an N95. So I, that's usually the major difference, um, okay. really, uh, because we just, they just don't do the, the experiments that, that need to be done uh, to differentiate the two. Okay. And so. these masks... Um... And they're made of the same material, the K95 and N95? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Okay. So they, these are these masks are tighter-fitting masks. Um, yes. They prevent the small aerosolized particles from being inhaled, whereas the simple masks don't. So that's yes. certainly something to, to keep in mind that, you know, if you're wearing a simple mask and somebody is um, has an aerosolized infectious disease like SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, that simple mask isn't necessarily going to protect you. You, you know, you would want to wear an N95 mask. So th those are the different types of masks. So really it would be K95 versus simple uh, face mask. You dose when you travel, you say when you're on a plane, you wear so there's, N95. Yeah. So it's, uh, um, actually I'm going to double try. I, it's, uh, I think it's technically a K94, um, okay. that I wear. Well, that makes a big difference. Uh, uh, it makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah, yeah. So I was just making sure. Uh, so it's not quite at the 95 level, but it's still a lot better than a surgical mask, and, and okay. they're pretty comfortable. But what you were saying uh, before about aerosolization, that's, that's actually an important point. What we've learned uh, during COVID-19 pandemic is, you know, we used to say, oh, flu is droplet, you know, meaning it, it's in heavy droplets. You, it doesn't um, stay in the air for a long time. It can't travel. 
right? Versus something is is airborne. So, um, for instance, tuberculosis, where it can like hang out for a long time, or even measles, and even travel. Uh, and there was a lot of I'm not going to bore your audience. There's a lot of scientific debate when the uh, SARS-CoV-2 pandemic first started. Like, is it dry or is it droplet? Is it airborne? So now we've realized it's probably a spectrum. You know, it's not black and white the way we used to see things. So um, in certain settings, yeah, uh, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 can be airborne, can be aerosolized, uh, and, and can and cause significant disease. So there have been outbreaks, for instance, in church choirs, you know, because they're in a sort of enclosed space. Everyone, so the person who has COVID-19 is singing, spraying everything out, and it kind of hangs out and then can infect someone. There have been uh, documents, um, there have been uh, studies done in restaurants that have shown like, you know, some people are sitting like right here and then people like all the way across the room got COVID-19. You know, if it was droplet, that wouldn't happen. Well, why'd that happen? And we're going to talk about airflow, I know, later. But it's like these people are by an air vent that's like pushing. And then the uh, particles, the SARS-CoV-2 is able to stay airborne. And then these people across the room got infected. So, yeah, there are certain circumstances where, where it can be aerosolized and, and, and be considered airborne, which... That is why we wear N95s when we're in high-risk situations, right? In an enclosed space with an actively infected person who is coughing, then, you know, we're going to be wearing an N95 in that setting. Are you struggling with reaching your health goals? Do you feel like you need extra help to achieve your desired level of wellness? Well, we're here to tell you that you're not alone. Our website at peakwellnesshealth.com, which is linked in the show notes below, offers a variety of resources to help you on your journey towards optimal health. One of the most popular resources is the 10-Day Body Reset Course, which is designed to teach you about diet, sleep, meditation, exercise, and how to lower your blood sugar, blood pressure, body fat, and improve your biomarkers all in just 10 days. Our program is comprehensive yet easy to follow, and we've seen amazing results for those who have completed it. But that's not all. We offer a body optimization course, which teaches you how to lose fat and build muscle. Our program is tailored towards your individual needs and goals so that you can be sure that you're getting the most effective guidance. And if you need even more personalized support, we offer one-on-one -on -one consultations. During these sessions, we'll work with you to create a personalized plan that takes into account your unique circumstances, preferences, and goals. Visit peakwellnesshealth.com today and take the first step towards achieving your health goals. Let's jump to air quality and ventilation because that's, you know, that, that's also an important consideration because if you're outside and you're in a group, there's much less risk than, you know, if you're indoors in a closed area with poor ventilation. So yep. maybe you can comment on that. Yeah, definitely. So the, the mantra throughout the COVID-19 pandemic is, you know, outside is always better than inside. So whenever possible, you know, be outside that that'll be, uh, uh greatly reduces the risk and, um, for, uh, contracting COVID-19 as well as other, uh, respiratory viruses. If you are indoors, you know, opening the window, making sure there's great, uh, airflow, air exchange is, is huge. Though so those things were, were now realizing are very, very important. And it's, becoming more on the minds of people who, who work in, in public health, right? So 
cholera used to be a huge problem uh, throughout Europe and, and still is in, 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 in some circumstances. Uh, but in, in London, there'd be like cholera outbreaks every summer uh, is because they didn't have a, a sewage system at that time, you know, so everyone would just be exposed to human waste. And then they developed a sewage system and then then the cholera outbreak stopped. And then this led to, you know, the modern day view and control of food safety and 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 um, sewage safety and things like that. Well, so that we've sort of tackled. And then now we're realizing, well, public health, you know, public space, air quality, that's sort of the next frontier. And it's not just about COVID-19. It's about other respiratory viruses, you know, flu, RSV, parainfluenza, hemophilus, and any other ones that are out there or will be out there. Uh, we know that having better air quality reduces disease burden. So being outside, having windows that are open, uh, air filtration, you know, what is your level of filtration? So, you know, uh, you can check your filter at home or your office building. Uh, the, the guidelines are for at least a MERV 13. Uh, if you're in a big public building, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe in your house, you have a MERV 10. I know in my house, we have a MERV 10, uh, which is good, but not as good as MERV 13. But that's not, that's um, not an Apple filter. That's just a standard filter, correct? No, that's just a standard filter that's in your, in your, um, HVAC. So okay. that, that's, that's one thing you can do is, uh, can your HVAC system handle a higher level filtration? A lot of times in the older buildings, they can't because then you need to uh, increase the power of the fan or, and it may not, your HVAC system may not be able to handle it. Um, so there, there is a limit to how high of a filter you can go on your HVAC. So that's one thing, you know, that you can do and look at. Uh, as you mentioned, HEPA filters. Are, are something separate from your HVAC, and and there's been a huge increase in the different number and types of of HEPA filters. So there are smaller ones that are good for. So basically, you just need to know the size of your your space, right? So if it's a small little office, you can get a smaller HEPA filter. Uh, if it's a bigger area, then just get a larger one. I mean, there are different types out there of, of varying qualities, but HEPA filters are are very important. You know, especially if uh, you're in a building that the HVAC system can't really, you know, be upgraded uh, without being completely replaced, which, you know, I, I, I get can be, you know, the logistics of it can, can be difficult. So you can do HEPA filters, uh, which we do recommend. Beyond HEPA filters, there are, there are other things you can do. Healthcare facilities often use UV light. That's another big one. So uh, you can either have them installed in the room or there are portable UV light systems that are, have, have been shown to decrease viral burden. Uh, and then now there are companies out there that um, uh, it's, it's sort of ionization of the viral particles that reduces the number of, of the pathogens that are in, in, the, in the air and uh, there are different ways for this to work. You know, they can actually install it into your HVAC. Um, you can install it just into a, in a portable area like a bus. I know there there are some public transportation systems that kind of use that. So you can put it in a bus or, you know, if it's a small clinic, you know, you can have like a small stand 
uh, in that clinic. So there, there are ways to uh, improve air quality that we're starting to learn more about and, and utilize more. And then there's also uh, more um, thought in airflow, right? So uh, you want better airflow, but if you're putting up huge barriers or the way uh, a floor is designed, if it's really limiting airflow, like uh, whatever, you know, if you're, if you're limiting it due to the way the wall is shaped or, or things like that, then um, that can reduce the airflow, reduce air exchanges, increase uh, or worsen uh, the quality of the air in the, in that uh, room. Uh, okay, so that's another thing we're looking at too. So yeah, so uh, to sum it up, you know, air quality ventilation very important. The gold standard is really being outside. Yes, that's lots true. Yeah, lots of airflow, lots of fresh air. You know, and and um, in fact, being outdoors, not UV light. Helps. Yeah, UV light, exactly. Um, not only helps with with that, but also just kind of just generalized feeling of wellness. It's important to get outside as much as possible. But if you have to be inside, you know, really pay attention to these things, pay attention to airflow, pay attention to filter. HEPA filtration, I think, is incredibly important, especially if you're in yep. an area like in a city or where there's a lot of cars passing by because not only will it filter some of these infectious particles, but the uh, microparticles and smog and things like that, which can cause allergic reactions or, uh, or um, um, you know, trigger asthma or, or something, something of that effect. Sure. It'll, it'll help with that. So, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, so um, excellent. Uh, so let's now shift to vaccines. Oh, wait, before we do that, you say you wear a, a, that K94 in an airplane. You know, personally... I have, and this is just a personal choice I have because I've, I've been, I'm so fatigued wearing masks and I've looked into the air filtration planes and half the air is filtered through a HEPA filtration. Half of it is from outside where, you know, you're at 30,000 feet. It's, it's clean air. And the, where the, the way the air flows, it, it's it flows through the uh, aircraft in two minutes. I mean, it really cycles the entire right. aircraft in two minutes. So I personally don't wear a mask in a plane. That's just a, Personal, I'm not saying do that if, you know, right. different situation, but they, that's what I do. I agree with you. The air quality on the plane is probably uh, amazing because of everything you said. Um, the caveat is, like, if you're next to someone who has COVID, that's not yeah. going to help, yeah. right? So yeah. if they're sitting right next to you. But in general, you can't really find indoor air quality better than what is on an airplane. That, that's true. But also, I realize, you know, but you're, it, presumably you're on a plane because you're going on vacation. So you wear a mask, not just, you know, to, to me, it's like, okay, I wear a mask for a few hours. It reduces the risk of me picking up anything, not just COVID-19. So then I can enjoy my vacation. Do you eat the peanuts on it? Did they serve you, dose them on the aircraft? <laughs> no, actually, yeah. not when I'm masked, I don't. No, I don't need her. I dry hold. Yeah. No, I just keep the mask you on. Leave it on. Okay. Assuming it's, a, assuming it's a short flight. Yes. Obviously, I, I don't think I've been on a, a long flight since COVID. So okay. for two to All three right. hours, yeah, I'll just wear the mask. If I'm on a 10 hour flight, okay, it's a different calculation, okay. of course. So you, but. you not only are preventing infectious disease, you're also helping with obesity because you're you're not eating crappy, yeah exactly, crappy exactly. 
Exactly. Um, okay, so now we're let's 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 shift over to vaccines. You know, because people also have this question: Should I should I vaccinate myself? What are your what are your thoughts on the vaccines? How do they work? And and, and what are your thoughts on the vaccines? Sure. So um, the short answer is yes. You should at least get the primary series. So and the way that most of us look at the primary series is three shots. You know, so initially uh, when the vaccines were developed. And then approved, and we started giving them out. It was right; it was two doses uh, initially, you know, four week, three to four weeks apart. And then, in some cases, you could go a little bit longer. But you have to remember where we were at that time. You know, it was the middle of the pandemic. People were getting sick. The hospitals were overrun uh, with these sick patients, um, and we're, you know. Uh, trying to get the you know we got the vaccine out and we know that it, we knew it was safe we know it's still safe and we know that it provided protection and then we followed people and they were like oh giving this booster dose a, a few months later after the last one that really seems to protect people more and that uh, i would say came to the forefront during the omicron wave especially so the first two doses were very protective for Delta and then the, you know, the original and Alpha and uh, very protective. Then Omicron came. It's like two doses weren't as protective. You give them a booster and it was really protective. So the way I look at it is primary series is, is, is three doses. And then moving from there, do you need a booster? Again, that, that is uh, dependent on, on, on your risks. So even now with the new variants, you know, BQ1 and XBB, the three, the original three doses are still pretty protective against severe illness. So like hospitalization, very protective against that still, like not as protective as it used to be, but I mean, it's still a decent amount. That fourth dose um, or second booster definitely provides protection for the first few months, two to three months. It provides really robust protection against uh, getting an, an infection. But after that, the protection gets infection wanes. Uh, and, and there is some evidence now, you know, people are looking at, you know, three, the new bivalent booster versus the original monovalent booster. And is it actually better? Again, it depends on the risk. So it's definitely if you're older so if you're older than 65 or if you have a number of medical conditions lung disease heart disease being overweight diabetes things like that or if you're immunocompromised then yeah most definitely we know that the bivalent uh provides much better protection against severe illness versus you know just original three doses but if you're 25 and fit healthy you know, is there still, what is that Delta in terms of the protection that the bivalent vaccine provides? You know, that we're still trying to tease out because we know the original three doses of the monovalent uh, still is protection, protect, uh, provides protection against hospitalization and severe illness, which uh, from an infectious disease standpoint, that's really the end game, right? So vaccines in general aren't to prevent uh, infection. People are going to get infected, but they're there to pro- uh, provide protection against severe illness. 
Yeah. Um, so I yeah. just want to I want to stress that point you made because that's where people don't understand when right. they talk when we talk about vaccines, it's not to prevent the illness. It's to prevent the, the severity of symptoms. That's an extremely important Correct. thing. And um when people get a get a vaccine and then they do in fact get COVID-19, they're like, oh, that didn't work. Well, that's no, it right. It's, it's working to prevent you from getting more sick than you are at that time. Exactly. So it reduces hospitalization. Again, it depends on, on, on the populations you're studying, but if you're looking at vaccinated versus unvaccinated, it reduces hospitalization by 80%. And uh, it also, uh, we're finding at least, it reduces the risk of long COVID uh, if you've been vaccinated. Um, so I, I definitely would say that I, everyone should at least get the primary series of, of vaccine for sure. And then do you need a booster? How many boosters you need? I think that is uh, dependent on, on what are your risks um, and, you know, a conversation you should have with your uh, medical provider. Say you're 45, 50, no other comorbidities, you're otherwise healthy. Would you recommend a bivalent booster to that? Uh, probably... You know, I, I'm not saying I would not recommend it. You yeah. know, if they want the vaccine, sure, it will provide some protection. Uh, uh, but that is not the group that I'm going out being like, you absolutely 100% should be vaccinated. You okay. know, the, the group that I'm saying that to are, you know, 65-year-olds with diabetes. You know, that, like, no, you really need to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Or my parents, for instance, you know, right. who are in their mid to late 70s. You know, those are the people 100% should get vaccinated. Um, and, and if you do meet criteria for that bivalent booster, how often should you get it? So right now it's just the the one dose of the bivalent. You know, there are studies that are ongoing and discussions that are ongoing to see if um, it should be yearly. Um, you know, maybe every fall they're they're looking into combining it with um, flu. So like you get COVID and flu vaccine in one shot. You know. Um, so th those things are, are are being looked at and and studied, and I, it seems that the uh, the experts are sort of leaning towards uh, a yearly vaccine, especially for at risk people. But that's something that we're still trying to work through. I mean, I understand people have COVID fatigue, but in the grand scheme of things, it's only been three years, which you know, we're gathering data, we're gathering it as fast as we can, but three years in, in, in scientific terms is not that long of a time. You know, it takes us a while to figure out vaccine schedules, you know, for instance, for shingles or chickenpox, or do you need a booster? Well, the way we figure that out is like, oh, wait, you know, 10 years after original vaccine, people are starting to get sick again. Like, oh, maybe we should boost them. So we're we're still trying to tease this out. Um, right now, the recommendations are for for yearly at least for at risk people, which includes pregnant females, by the way. So they're they're at risk as well. And um, the thing I would also add about pregnancy is there are a bunch of studies now that show that if you get vaccinated when you're pregnant, the likelihood of your infant getting sick decreases dramatically. There's protection that uh, passes on to your infant. 
and it, and it lasts. So then now the vaccines are approved down to six months. So, you know, pregnant mother, you get vaccinated, then your infant's protected. And then at six months, they can get the vaccine. So that's something to look at. Um, again, for a healthy person that you mentioned, you know, I, I, I'm not 100% sure that they absolutely need the booster. The original series, the three shots, definitely without question. Beyond that, I, I think we're still um, trying to figure that out. Final question. I, I know you consult in the hospital often. You see these patients with COVID. We both worked in the hospital wards back in 2020 where, you know, it was original strain of SARS-CoV-2 yeah. and that was much more severe. Uh, we didn't know what we we're doing in terms of therapeutics. What are you seeing as far as deaths from COVID currently? Are, are the therapeutics good enough such that, you know, most people barring the severely immune compromised and elderly and that type of uh, cohort sure. are, are, doing, are doing well? Are they surviving? Right. So I, I think that is a great question. And, I, you know, people are, are saying like, oh, Omicron is mild or the new variants are mild. Well, actually, it's not. It's just as severe as original strains. The difference are, one, we have baseline immunity, right? So uh, over 95% of people have either been vaccinated or have had COVID at least once. Uh, I, I will say to your listeners that Yes, having COVID before is protective uh, against uh, uh, severe illness from a repeat infection. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get vaccinated. There's a concept called hybrid immunity where you combine, you know, you have the previous infection and then you have the vaccine or you get vaccinated, then you get infected. Uh, It it, um, uh, really enhances your immune response. So even if you've had COVID before, I still would say, get vaccinated because we know that those people do better. Uh, and again, there is some data suggesting it, 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 some data, right. Synergistic, good way to put it. And there's data suggesting it reduces the the risk of, of long COVID as well. So even if you've had COVID, I would still say get, get vaccinated. So anyway, that plays a role. So now we have more baseline immunity. So that's one. Two, we have a much better understanding of the disease process and how to treat patients and isolate patients and prevent the spread of disease. So, yeah, the therapeutics are, are excellent. They reduce the risk of, um, uh, of of death and severe illness and hospitalization uh, by anywhere from 70 to 80 percent, depending on the therapeutics you're looking at. So Paxlovid is the best one. It reduces risk by 80%. Remdesivir is, is almost as good. The difference with remdesivir is it's an IV medication. The logistics of it are difficult because you have to give it for three days. But if you're near a hospital that has um, an outpatient clinic that can do this, then that's, that's great. So for instance, uh, the hospital around here is UMass Memorial Medical Center. They, they have a uh, outpatient remdesivir clinic that a lot of the uh, smaller hospitals in the area will send to get treated. Um, and then molnupiravir is probably the third one. That probably reduces your risk by 30 or 40%. So it's not as good, but definitely the, the deaths are lower because our therapeutics are, are, are 
better and people have baseline immunity. But, you know, if you're at risk because you're 75 and have tiny medical problems, you know, sure, we can reduce your risk, but that risk is, is still there. And then the timing is important. That's the other thing we've learned is, you know, getting people on these medications sooner rather than later uh, is extremely important. Um, and that's something we've learned over the last three years and we've, we've gotten uh, better at. So those are the, the way I look at it. It's not, it's not that the actual virus is getting milder. It's that, you know, one, our immunity has improved uh, through infection and vaccination. Two, the therapeutics are now uh, available, and, and we, uh, as physicians, know how to utilize them better than we did before. Okay, Dose, this was phenomenal. Um, you really answered the questions about masks. Uh, you answered the questions about vaccines. And, you know, there's some listeners out there that are very healthy that may opt to not wear a mask and, and should get the you know, initial series, but not get the booster. And that's okay. Um, that That's okay for them. But I think you really have to understand that it's not just you that you're thinking about. It's you're thinking about um, your your friends, your family, people around you. So uh, c- uh, consider those things when you're making your decision. I think also what what is very important is understanding the basics of a healthy lifestyle. And we've stressed this on this podcast series, but just to repeat plenty of sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress reduction, reducing exposures and, you know, reducing exposures by wearing masks, reducing exposures by getting outside. Those things are super important. I I definitely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I was just going to say, I agree with all that. We, you know, we may not have it, at least I can't recall if we have the data for COVID-19, but there, there is data out there that, you know, people that are, have a healthier lifestyle actually get a better response with the vaccine, like meaning that they produce more antibodies. I mean, that's been shown with flu vaccines and, uh, and any number of vaccines uh, and and uh, extremely important in terms of living a healthy lifestyle. We also know that if you're sleep deprived, you know, your, your, your uh, risk for getting more severe illness is increased. So, uh, healthy, you know, being healthy, healthy diet, sleeping well, exercising if you can, you know, all those things actually improve outcomes, whether it's COVID-19 or some other infection. So definitely can't stress that enough as well. Very important concepts. I'm really glad that, you know, medicine is starting to see this too, because studies are becoming more common in, in these different types of areas. And we see it, you know, from a scientific perspective, but then also we've known it, you know, just in our cultures and our communities for many, you know, for, for many generations that these things are really important, but the, the science is, is um, now supporting it. So awesome dose. Thank you so much. Um, of course. To have you on the podcast. It's great. I'll, I'll come back anytime. Let me know. I'll be here. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please make sure to hit the subscribe and the like button and leave a comment about what you'd like to see on our future episodes. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only, does not substitute for professional care, nor does it constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for medical care, please seek a qualified doctor or medical professional. For more information, or if you'd like to check out our programs, please visit our website, peakwellnesshealth.com. That's peakwellnesshealth.com.